Um, well, I'd love to extend my welcome. Um, if you're new, uh, welcome here with us at SALT. Uh, my name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here at SALT, and I have the privilege of opening God's Word this evening um, and sharing it with us all. Um, hopefully, if you came in through the door, you would have got an outline um, that will just help you be oriented to where we are in the sermon today. Uh, it's got the passage in there if you don't have a Bible with you. Um, and you would have noticed on the front of the outline that we're talking about grief and hope today. And before we jumped into the passage, I just wanted to say a couple of things about grief. The first thing is that grief is very hard. Um, it's hard to experience and it's difficult to talk about. Grief is something that is complex and many people experience it differently. And grief is something that's very close to us as a church, as you would have heard Fiona pray, we lost our beloved Ness just over a month ago, and this passage was actually read at her funeral. So it's close to us as a church, especially as we look again at this passage and what it has to say. And there have been many books that have been written on grief. Uh, there are many experts on how, uh, that teach people how to live with grief and counsel people through grief. So what I wanted to say this evening is that I am not one of them. I am no expert in grief. Uh, I've been lucky enough in my life to not experience too much extreme grief, although I have experienced some, as many have. But I know that if I live for long enough, I'm going to experience grief in my life, time and time again. So if grief is a really difficult thing to talk about, and I'm not an expert... You might wonder why I'm up here speaking on a passage about grief and hope. Well, the simple answer is that Dave's away, and this is where we are in our series. <laughs> but deeper than that, I do have a little bit of knowledge and experience about reading God's Word and seeing how it can speak into the deepest parts of our lives to bring us healing and hope. So I'm not going to give any expert advice today on grief. But what I'm hoping is that we can, together as a church, full of people who have experienced grief, who are currently experiencing grief and will experience grief, I hope as we gather around God's word, we will be encouraged by it and we will see the hope that there is to find in our grief. So I'm going to start by praying because we're going to need God's help for this, would you pray with me? Father, we know and you know how difficult grief is. Lord, you know what it is to lose someone you love. Lord, as we gather around your word this evening, would you be with us? Would you quieten our hearts to hear your word speak into our lives and to speak into our grief? Would you help me to speak clearly and helpfully as I share? And would you help us all today to be encouraged by the hope that we can find in you? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you were with us last week, um, you would have heard Dave use a great illustration, so I've stolen it. He talked about how when we read a book like Thessalonians, it's a bit like listening to one side of a phone conversation. You've probably all been in the room where you're hearing someone on the phone and it's not on speakerphone, so you can't hear the other side of the conversation, but you can kind of work out a little bit from what they're saying about what's going on in this conversation. 
So as we look at 1 Thessalonians, we get Paul's side of the conversation to the church in Thessalonica. Uh, and as we read through this passage, it seems that we can pull out a few things that give us a bit of insight into maybe what's going on for the Thessalonian church and why Paul is writing this. As we read through this passage, um, it looks as though the Thessalonian church expected Jesus to come back and to come back quite soon. But it seems that some of them are maybe a bit worried that those who have died in the meantime, maybe they will miss out on when Jesus comes back. So it seems like Paul is responding to this issue that the Thessalonians have. The thing that they're worried about is what happens to the people who have died before Jesus returns. And if you look in your outline, I've broken up the passage for you a little bit. Um, I've kind of chunked it up into three chunks up on the top left-hand corner. And that kind of reflects a bit of the flow of thought in the passage that Paul is looking at here. Um, if this passage was submitted as a high school essay, I think it would get top marks because it's got a great, clear introduction, a good, solid body, and a very clear conclusion. If you look there, it's clearly that the first, the verse 13 is a bit of an introduction that Paul uh, brings to the church. And then in verses 14 through to 17, he kind of goes through the thought process of of pulling apart uh, the, the, the issues that the church is facing and the hope that we can find in Jesus before then, in verse 18, um, he ends with the conclusion, the therefore. And if I was to write an abstract for this essay, I worked on this, this really brought me back to my high school years, but if I was to write an abstract on this essay, this is what I would write. Be informed about death. Know what your hope rests on and encourage one another with that hope. Be informed about death. Know what your hope rests on and encourage one another with that hope. And you'll see in your outlines that they are the headings for each section of this passage that I've put in there. So please do make use of those. Scribble notes if you like or just chuck them in the bin. I really don't mind. So let's jump in. Um, and look at the introduction that Paul brings to the church. Um, we see it in verse 13, so read there with me in your outline or in your Bible if you have it. In verse 13 he says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Paul starts this section by saying he doesn't want them to be uninformed. Now this is kind of a double negative, and again, in high school I was told to avoid these, so Paul loses some marks there. But what he's saying is he wants them to be informed. He doesn't want them to be uninformed, so therefore he wants them to be informed. And what does he want them to be informed about? Well, those who have died. Those who have died before Jesus has come back so that they don't grieve like the rest of the world. That's what he says. Now, there's a couple of things in this verse I just want to pick up on. Did you firstly notice that Paul doesn't say those who have died? What does he say? Those who sleep in death. Your translation might say those who have fallen asleep. Simply here the word is a deep sleep. Not death, just sleep. And he uses this word multiple times throughout the passage. He constantly refers to these people as being asleep. 
Here's a fun Bible trivia fact for you. The word asleep here in the Greek comes from the word komao, which is where we get the modern English word coma from. Right, Paul is trying to get across the idea that death is not a final state. We know that someone in a coma has the possibility of life after the coma. It is not a final diagnosis. It's the same idea Paul is getting at here. And this isn't a new idea for Paul. Like all good ideas, Paul gets this idea from Jesus. Fiona references in her prayer as Jesus wept for Lazarus. What did Jesus say when those who were concerned about Lazarus dying? He said, Lazarus is simply asleep. Right at the start of this letter, Paul wants to introduce this idea that death is not the end. Now this isn't how our world generally sees death, but this is definitely how the Bible sees death. Our world lives by the motto YOLO. You only live once, right? You've got to make the most of this life while you have it, and once you're dead, that's it. It's over. You only live once. But clearly in the Bible, clearly for Paul, for Jesus, for us as Christians, we know death is not the end. Life goes on after death. Just as you fall asleep today to wake up tomorrow, death is a short sleep between this life and the next. Death is not the final say. And the second thing that Paul wants to get across in this introduction is that grief and hope can go together. He says that he doesn't want them to be uninformed so that they don't grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. This is the heart of what Paul is going to get at in this letter, uh, in this passage. And grief and hope are there together. Notice that Paul doesn't assume that they won't grieve. No, he assumes that they will grieve. But he wants them to grieve with hope. As Christians, there's something different about our grief. Well, at least there should be. Because with our grief, we have somewhere to turn. And more importantly, we have someone to turn to. And that, of course, is Jesus. Spoiler alert. Because with Jesus, our grief is vastly different to the rest of the world. I saw this just over a month ago. Like many of you, I attended Nessa's funeral, a place where there was incredible grief, but a place where grief and hope were going hand in hand. Whilst there is grief when we lose someone we love, we know there is hope because we know death is not the end. Now, two weeks after Nessa's funeral, I went to another funeral. It was my nan's funeral down in Melbourne. And now I don't know where my nan was at with God. It's one of those ones where I'm glad that's God's job and not mine. But in my aunties and uncles who don't know Jesus, I saw grief without hope. I saw grief without knowing what was next. I saw death as being the end Because without 
Jesus, there is no hope in grief. This is the grief that the world knows. And this is the grief that Paul doesn't want the Thessalonian church to have. Paul says Jesus is the base of the hope that we have in Jesus. And he wants them to know that this is what their hope rests on. So from verses 14 to 17, Paul explains how our hope rests on Jesus. And not just his death, but his resurrection and his return. In verse 14, Paul speaks about how we are united with Jesus. We see that all those who have fallen asleep, again there's the language, are united with Jesus, not just in his death, but they will be united with him in his resurrection. Look at uh, verse 14 with me. It says, For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Those who have fallen asleep in him. It's easy to miss the in there, but it's important. If we believe in Jesus who died and rose again, then we will be united in him in his death and in his resurrection. So firstly, our hope rests on union with Jesus. And then we see that no one who trusts in Jesus is going to miss out on this day that's to come. He goes on to say that those who have died aren't going to miss out on anything. In fact, it almost sounds like they're a bit better off than those who are going to be still alive when Jesus returns. Look at verses 15 and 16. He says, According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, I don't think Paul was trying to, the main point of his argument here is the order of things or how things are going to play out exactly. What he's saying is that you think somehow these people are going to miss out, but I say, no, they're in a privileged position. They're going to be first. This is a real contrast to what the church was worried about. They're worried people are going to miss out on the coming of Jesus. And Paul says, no one's going to miss it. Jesus himself, the Lord, is going to come down. There's going to be trumpets, a loud command. The archangels are going to be there. It's going to be a massive spectacle. And those who have died are actually going to be raised first. Rather than feeling worried about those who have passed away, it almost feels like those who are still alive should be a little bit jealous of those who have gone to sleep. You know, no one loves a queue jumper who's going to jump in front and get in there first. But it's clear that Paul goes on to say in verse 17 that we don't have to wait long if we're still alive. In verse 17, we kind of get the real climax of the story where we who are still alive will join those who have died to be with the Lord forever. Look at verse 17. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. 
Now, as Bob probably uh, pointed to, there's lots of people who have tried to work out exactly how this works, the different ways in which there are different theologies around the end times, but I'm not going to actually get into those tonight. It's not a cop-out, because I think that's not the main point of this passage. The main point is to see the wonderful picture that is portrayed here where those who have fallen asleep will be joined with Jesus and those who are alive will join them too to be with the Lord forever. That is the hope that we rely on as Christians. And that is the hope that Paul is trying to tell the church about in this passage. So what does our hope rest upon? Well, it rests upon the fact that we're united in Jesus that he's going to come back one day to raise up all who have fallen asleep in him and are still alive, and that we get to enjoy his company and the company of our loved ones forever. That is hope, and that is what Paul is on about. Now, I must say, this isn't hope that takes away grief. Grief is still hard, even if there isn't hope. But I think this is hope that can bring us comfort in our grief if we know where our loved ones are going to be. Paul is saying death is not the end. There is more to it. And the picture he is painting is wonderful. And then Paul gets to applying what he's just said in his last verse as he concludes this section of the passage. In verse 18 we read, Therefore, encourage one another, with these words. After letting our minds drift off to the eternal hope that we have, Paul draws us right back to the now. And he gives us something to focus on now. And what is it? Encourage one another. In light of the eternal hope that we have, encourage one another with these words. Notice that Paul doesn't say, therefore, be encouraged by these words, as if to say that Paul's goal in writing this letter was to encourage the church, and that was the end. Don't get me wrong, Paul is definitely writing this letter to encourage the Thessalonian church in their grief, but I don't think that's his main goal. His main goal is to motivate them to encourage one another with these words. That is where he ends his thoughts, encourage one another. So just as Paul um, shared this passage with the Thessalonian church and passed on the baton to the church to do the encouraging, let me pass on the baton to you today, Salt Church. Salt Church, would you encourage one another with these words? Now what does it mean to encourage one another with these words? Well, I think in Paul's A letter, it clearly means the words that he has just spoken. The words that he has just talked about, about Jesus' triumphant return when we will all be gathered with him. Paul would have had this letter read out to the church to encourage them. But as we look at this passage today, I think there's more that we can think about when it comes to encouraging one another. What does encouraging one another with these words look like today? Well, I think it looks like encouraging one another to keep looking forward. 
Because what are Paul's words all about in this passage? Well, it's the future, isn't it? It's the future resurrection and return of our Saviour, Jesus. As the Thessalonians grieve the loss of those who have fallen asleep, Paul casts their eyes forward to encourage them. And I think we can take note of this. I think we, as a church and as people who follow Jesus, can speak about Jesus' return more than we do. See, I think we as Christians often do a good job of looking backwards. We love to look back to the cross of Jesus and the way in which it takes away our sin and our suffering and our pain. But we also should look forwards. We should look forwards to the hope of Jesus coming back again. Jesus died and he rose again and he is now seated at the right hand of God awaiting to come back for us. So I want, to think, I want us to think about how we can make eternity a regular part of our daily focus and a regular part of our vocabulary. Do we speak about Jesus' return? In the conversations you have at church and at home, do you talk about the reality that one day Jesus will come back? That one day he will bring all things under him and we will be together with him forever. And does that focus on the hope of eternity shape the way you go about your daily lives? Do you let it shape the decisions you make, the priorities that you have? And do you encourage one another with the words of grief and death, but also with the words of hope and resurrection? You know, do we speak about death together, as if it's just those who have fallen asleep. I think our culture in Australia doesn't like to talk about death much because our culture thinks that death is the end and we, no one wants to think about the end. But as Christians, we know that it's not the end. We know we have a hope greater than death, so why don't we speak about it? And do we encourage one another to keep looking forward Wherever you are, whatever situation you're in, looking forward to the hope that we have of eternity with Jesus. You know, Ness's funeral was one of the saddest moments I've been involved in in the church community. I don't think I've felt grief like that in a church before. But let me tell you, it was also one of the most encouraging because it casts my eyes towards eternity. It reminded me of the hope, the true hope of Christianity. Not in a better life now, but in the best life to come. A hope that has been achieved through Jesus' death, resurrection and his return. So let's continue to be people who look forward with hope. Let's be informed about death. Let's know that our hope rests firmly on Jesus' shoulders. And let's encourage one another as we go about our lives and as we deal with grief and the constant companion that it is. How about I pray? Would you pray with me?
Lord God, we thank you that you are with us in our grief. But Lord, you didn't just come to comfort us. You came to give us hope beyond death. Lord, I hope that one day you would come back. You would come back and bring all those who are asleep in you to be with you forever. And that just a little bit after that, we too who are still alive get to join you and be with you forever. Lord, would you help us focus our minds and our hearts on eternal things? So often it's difficult when the things of this world take our attention and our time. Even when things are good, Lord, or if they're bad, we seem to lose track and stop focusing on you. Lord, this evening and through this week and through our lives, would you keep us focused on the eternal hope we have in Jesus' return as he brings all things back to himself. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.